Well, welcome to Kansas City Beat. Is that uh, I don't know if we ever Sports Beat. Sports Beat really Kansas need to City start Star. The Starcast. Sorry. Starkist. But uh, no mistaking this, it is the World Series edition of of the podcast. And for uh, for posterity, we are recording this uh, as Kansas City is assembling for a parade in which hundreds of thousands are expected to converge on downtown. So uh, there has not been a celebration like this in Kansas City, well, for 30 years. And everything I hear is today's uh, parade and uh, attendance will eclipse. Will, will, it, it'll, it'll be twice what it was in 1985, all because of what happened, um, transpired over the last three weeks, a uh, remarkable postseason run for, for the Kansas City Royals. Andy McCullough, who covered the team all season, is here, as is Vahe Gregorian, columnist for the Star, and uh, and myself, Blair Kirkhoff. We're here to talk about the Royals and um, and the run that they made to, to the World Championship, their second. Andy, what uh, general impressions? What uh, what can you say about this team? Uh, not that, it's not that they won. That's incredible enough. I, I think it's how they went about winning and uh, and. and I saw a great graphic the other day in their percentage. Uh, this is a new stat that's been with us now for, for a little while. Uh, what's your percentage of winning during a game? And during seven of these playoff games, the Royals had at some point in the game less than a 25% chance to win, and a couple of them single digits, and they won all seven games. Yes, just think about how – good this team might have been if Ned Yost hadn't taken his foot off the gas in September. I mean, just <laughs> how... Um, if they had really turned the light back on. Yeah, I mean, if they had really... No, but I was actually, I was thinking about it now, because, like, if they had played 500 ball in September, right, they're like a 100-win team, 101-win team, 102-win team, and they really could be considered one of the great teams in baseball history. Um, you know, you really could make a case for them as one of the the great teams of the past, you know, uh, 25, 30 years, whatever. Um, either way, the way – like so I saw someone t- tweeted this, uh, a guy named uh, Bog Commenter who's like a D.C. sort of uh, gadfly, but he was like, how did the Royals not win 120 games? And it's kind of like, yeah, you know, they're the best team. They were the, they were the best team on the field every night they went out on the field all year long. And they were the toughest team on the field every night they went out on the field all year long. It, w- it was incredible. Um, so the way that they won uh, is definitely um, – it's surprising like, if you think about it, you know, that they, they've led in like 11 innings in that World Series. And they, uh, and, you know, the, and, they, and they scored almost all their runs after the seventh inning. But, you know, look – that's those innings count you know it doesn't mean they got lucky it doesn't mean you know the other team like sort of choked or something like that it just means the Royals put so much pressure on opposing teams that at some point someone's got to break and the Royals this season really never broke and that's it's it's a it's a tribute to them I mean they really are one of the, I, I, even if the, their record may not show it I mean they really are one of the great teams in recent memory that, that makes me think of something, Andy, and, and we were going to be talking about this topic no matter where, when the Royals finished, whether it was they burned out in the first round or they, they won the World Series. But back to that whole point about the taking the foot off the pedal, the retooling, <laughs> it, it, my point of view on this was always going to be you, you measure what, the usefulness of what they did in September by what they do in October and November, as it turns out. 
Um, do do they win the World Series without that approach? It, it, you know, without you know burning out Greg Holland or figuring all those things out. Right. Well, I mean, you could argue, you know, burning out Greg Holland was a good thing for them because that's right. Yeah, I guess yeah. I mean, mean which is which is kind of a, a cruel thing to say to Greg Holland, but that was yeah. not uh, that was a very reduced version of Greg Holland they were seeing. So him blowing out and them reorganizing their bullpen so that Wade Davis was the closer actually helped the team because Holland, you know, was was struggling. Um, Greg's a bad. Pardon me, but Greg's a bad no, example well, uh, of that because that was really Perez, he was a different point. Salvador yeah, Perez, yeah. you know, was the MVP in the World Series. You know, and Salvador Perez was totally out of gas at the end of last year you know and he he still played a lot this September you know it's not like he had you know three or four days off a week but he got a little more time off and they did a better job managing him all year long to get him with just a little more energy and 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 they they paid dividends there you know um so do they I mean who knows you know the way that they played in September was the right way to play it they had a 15 game lead there was no reason to you know to just you know, burn everyone out and to, you know, try and, you know, use up all their bullpen. And you saw that Kelvin Herrera could go multiple inning stints several days. You know, he went three innings in the final game. You know, Wade Davis could go multiple innings in a way that he hadn't done all year. So they were, they were fresh, they were rested, and it was, you know, I don't know if it, – it's impossible to say. You know, it's not like because they played right. that way in September they won the World Series, but they played the way they were supposed to play in September, and then they won the World Series. So – Thank you to everyone who sent me angry tweets all September. <laughs> Part of the reason they, few of the games anyway that could be exp- that explained their September performance was Johnny Cueto, and yeah. you know, <laughs> that's, and, and that's right, and that's right. his handful of, was it five in a row poor starts that he had five or six, five, yeah. five five or six. Yeah. it was yeah, and and so uh, boy for uh, for a good six weeks or so. Royals fans thought they were sold a bill of goods on Johnny Cueto, and it, and it, it looked that way. When it, it, not not just on the road, but but when he pitched at Kauffman Stadium as well. But to speaking toward uh, speaking to the move that that the Royals made, not only to uh, obtain him, but but Ben Zobris, paid off wonderfully in the postseason. Not look just Johnny Cueto's two starts in the postseason were the two best. Mm-hmm. Starts by a by a Royal starter. His his one his start in Toronto was the worst. Right. Um, but and then Ben Zobrist. If if Salvador Perez wasn't the World Series MVP, I think a case could have been named for. Yeah, Zo- for Zobrist, Zobrist was tremendous. I mean, Zobrist was such a great addition. He was exactly what the team needed. I mean, that way, you know, he he he. He made their lineup deeper. He was a great hitter for them. He was fantastic in the postseason, and he also. He took their biggest weakness, which was second base, and turned it into a strength. And defensively, you know, they lost a little bit with Omar Infante. But Omar Infante was the worst hitter in Major League Baseball this year. And just because he was a decent defender should not make that acceptable for a team with championship aspirations. And so getting Ben Zobrist sort of deepened the lineup in a way that really made it dangerous because all of a sudden you know now you have Alex Gordon in the eight hole and Alex Gordon's probably never going to hit eighth again he's some team's going to pay him 20 million dollars to bat third next year maybe or fifth or whatever but but to have 
you know, Salvador Perez seventh and, and Alex Gordon eighth. It, you know, Roger Angel described it in the New Yorker as the toughest row of outs he could remember in recent memory. And, and that may be true. I mean, they didn't have a one superstar type hitter, you know, the way that uh, Buster Posey was or, or David Ortiz or, um, you, know, you know, Albert Pujols or something like that or another recent World Series winner, uh, winners. But they one through nine were so deep and Zobris was so cr- crucial to that. The thing, to circle back to Cueto, the thing that's fascinating is whatever the history books or the internet history books look like in 25 years, it's going to have this dramatic, <laughs> uh, you know, postseason with these two great wins there. And it, we'll probably forget about the Toronto meltdown ultimately. But I don't think there's any, there would be any clamor for anybody in Kansas City to keep him here. And yet he did the exact thing they needed. I mean, two of the most important games in Royals history, the guy was at mastery. Yeah. I mean, at, at, yeah, it's one of those where you, you're, uh, I imagine fans are, are very, very happy with what he contributed and they never want to see him ever again. Yeah, exactly. Just like, just, just <laughs> go, go make a ton of money somewhere else and just, you know, God bless you, go with God, but please don't ever come back here. Like, after, you, you crazy person who drove us nuts. After game two, Lorenzo. And, and I think, and I think the, the Kansas City Royals may slightly agree with that. <laughs> well, I think they do, and this was—I I don't know—maybe it was a bit of a Freudian slip. But after Game Two, Lorenzo Kane said, "You know, he, he doesn't want to see him pitch again." <laughs> and what he meant was that they didn't want to come back for Game Six. But you kept sort of thinking, "I don't want no, to see him pitch again." He, he, yeah, it was really like, "I hope I never have to see you pitch again," because those are the most tense days imaginable. <laughs> um, yeah, there was just with with Coito, there was just a lack of, uh, I guess, consistency is the right word, but just uh, with with Vol- reliability. You know, with Volquez, you know what you were going to get every single time with Edison Volquez. He was going to give you six innings and two to three runs, and you could bank on that. You know, and that in the postseason is very reliable because you know you're not going to be dumped in a nine-run hole all of a sudden. You know, and you also know that he's probably not going to throw a complete game, but you have an expectation of what you're going to get, and you can build your sort of strategy around that. And and I think that's really really valuable. Uh, the, you know, the uh, you look at the Giants last year. You know what they had with their starters. They had guys who were somewhat reliable, and then Madison Bumgarner. So it's um, it's it's an underrated you know reliability is an underrated skill I think in baseball. You know, uh, three games and seven innings into the playoffs for the Royals, I found myself making plans for the weekend, <laughs> in, in next weekend in college football, yeah. and what games uh, we were going to cover, and uh, and that would that would that took us into the eighth inning of Game Four in Houston. Royals were down two to one in the series. The Astros um, were going to put it away, and that was the first of the memorable comebacks for the Royals. That was the game of the five straight singles started uh, started by Alex Rios. That was actually the second comeback. Well, they came back in game two. Right. This was the you know one percent chance of yes. winning yes. comeback, uh, or some absurd number like that, and. But I think it was after that game that I thought, you know, they had experienced like the wild card game the year before. They had, ex- they had, that was their near death experience, and and I think you, a team gains a resolve from that and some momentum. And little did I know at the time, or any of us know at the time, that there would be two or three other games kind of like that. Although not at, not at, not in an not, elimination none, game. Yeah. Right. That, that was, was an elimination game. That was the aspect of that game that that made it so so much more poignant as they were 
six outs away from the winner. I mean, it was you know it was going to go down as this just great disappointment, and, um, and not one run behind. Four. You know, it wasn't three four. to two at the right. time. It was six to two. Right after Madsen had given up the you know the four run inning. I think it was three or four run inning it was there. Three, yeah. I think it was three, and the Astros thought it should have been more. They could have. They, yeah, I the, think Astros they had, the Astros had, had a, yeah. They had a couple guys. I think on second and third or something like so, that. So that changed that changed the, the the outlook for me. I wonder if, if if that's the same for you guys. Well, a little bit for me, and, and this takes me to something I, I wanted to ask Andy about because I, I I don't know. When you talk to Ned about this, probably about 3 a.m. on the field after they won the World <laughs> Series, but it shows up in your in your game story that Ned was preparing his concession speech. Yeah. I mean, you know, at, as of pregame game five of the World Series, Ned's talking about how he feels. You know, yeah, fate was on our side. <laughs> he wasn't thinking that in the in the seventh inning in Houston. What, what did he say about that, Andy? Well, we're gonna write about it, I think, for the commemorative issue. He's talked a lot more about about yeah. kind of what was going through, and there's a couple funny things that I, that I don't want to spoil just yet. Um, but uh, I I I, th- I mean, he was being honest, you know. I think uh, you know he might have been his pipes might have been a little lubricated. Uh, <laughs> Didn't he use the term half drunk? Half hammered. <laughs> yeah. God, half hammered. Yeah. I think it's just because like they're all like so tense and playing. You know, they're playing. You know, so their 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 emotional systems are sort of overwrought. But these guys get lit so quick in these celebrations. I mean, they're like 15 <laughs> minutes in, and you're like, what 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 happened here? Um, anyway, uh, so. I, I mean, he was being honest. You know, what what would you be thinking? I mean, you're you're a, you're a you've been a big league manager for this long. I mean, yeah, part of you is like, well, we came back against the A's, but you know, you also you just got punched in the mouth, you know, by Carlos Correa and Colby Rasmus hitting bombs. You know, you're you're in this big dome that's just full of you know Texans hitting thunder sticks and <laughs> waving towels and checking their phone for updates about the Texans or whatever, and uh, you know, right. and wondering. It was Sunday it afternoon. Was, and, you know, wondering how many bases are there? Oh, there's three. Okay, great. Well, I'm really excited when we play the Argonauts in the next round. No, it's the Blue Jays. Um, no, Houston's a great baseball town. Um, so, uh, so I think he was just being honest that you know he felt like all right, we're going to lose and. And we lost to a team that we're better than, but they were better than us. And, and that's, you know, what I wrote is that for 162 games, you know, they were the best team in the American League. And then for 34 innings, they were the second best team on the field. And it just, you know, it was just a Alex Rios gets a hit. Uh, Escobar fishes for a curveball and somehow punches it up the middle. And then and then this is a moment that uh, I was talking to Evan Drellich from the Houston Chronicle, you know, who was their uh, great beat writer and I asked him about this and he said people in Houston aren't talking about this which lets you know what a great baseball town it is um, Ben Zobrist hit a fly ball or hit a sinking line drive at Carlos Gomez and it lands like a foot in front of Carlos I, Gomez I remember that I remember thinking that's when it came off his bat that could have been caught so a healthy Carlos Gomez catches that ball uh, or a Carlos Gomez who's trying because he just, like, stopped and let it get yep. in his glove. Jake Marisnik catches that ball if he's in there for defense, um, which probably should have been given the fact that Carlos Gomez had a, uh, torn muscles in his abdomen. But that hit, to me, it's like that was the, that was the crack that, that opened up. And I know everyone talks about the Correa ball. Um, right. But to me, like, the, the opening – uh, was you just you, they're just they were just given something by the Astros. The Astros just gave him a hit, and then from there, Kane gets a hit, Hosmer gets a hit, Morales hits the ball up the middle, and the game's tied. Shouldn't Morales have gotten a hit for that? 
No, that's not a hit. Didn't it take it hit off of either the mound well, or off? No, of it hit off Sip's glove. Yeah, it took okay, the glove. Okay, so so it's actually like almost glove. like a double error. Like Sip <laughs> probably could have had it. Correa definitely should have had it. But didn't the spin change and the the trajectory change abruptly on him? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it changed, but he's also a professional. You know, he's, he's allowed a, he's to a, catch it. He's a bit, yeah. As, as I say, like yeah, he's allowed to. He's allowed to catch the ball. Allowed to make you know? that play. <laughs> it was. It was not the easiest play in the world, but also he didn't look it into his glove. He was using one hand. I mean, there was lots of things that. Uh, it's an error. It's, it's not a hit. Um, so. So that was. So that was the first of the, you know, amazing comebacks by this team. The second one is in Game Two of the ALCS. Volquez pitched his best game of the of, of the postseason in Game One. Royals win that one five to nothing. They get to game two and they're down three to nothing heading into the seventh inning mm-hmm. on, against David Price, who how many I think he had struck out twenty seven to that he point. Retired eighteen. He retired eighteen in a row. Eighteen in a row. It was unbe- he was throwing <laughs> gap. best I've seen him a, pitch. He gave up a hit on the first pitch to Escobar and yep. then didn't let a man on base <laughs> until the seventh inning. I mean he was dominant. So the so the Blue Jays are gonna get out of Kansas City one one. They're gonna get their split and take this thing to Toronto and the team that the Royals, you know, just feared coming down the stretch that they were battling for home field position with, uh, they're, they're going to be in pretty good shape. And then the fly ball, you know, <laughs> drops in right field. And, uh, and, and again, the, the, the floodgates open. And I, you'll have to take me through. I can't the, – the, the one thing I remember about that inning was Alex Gordon's double that ended up yeah. breaking the, the tie. I think it scored Moose. I can't remember the sequence of hits. I guess it's well, – Here's what Kane. I remember. It, it's, it's Kane – it, and Hosmer both going in opposite field, which to me was a little bit significant because look, going to a little concentric circle here, after the game I bumped into Johnny Gomes and was talking to him about that inning for a second, and he was like, anybody who thinks that inning happened because of Zobra's hit is, is an idiot. Yeah. And the point he was making, and I think you elaborated on it, I'm sure you elaborated on it, Andy, was that that was third time through or whatever it was with Price, and they – it's not like they're just up there swinging. I mean, it looks like that sometimes, but they are actually they were taking evolving. Good, they, were, they were taking good at bats. And they're I mean, think, yeah, they're thinking this through. They're adjusting. Right. I mean, I think the thing the thing about uh, the Royals is that um, I've said this so many times, but in the biggest spots, they have their best at bats, and that to me is not luck. I think uh, you know that to me is not luck. There's there's definitely skill involved there, and part of it was that um, you know. Price, like, like again, like Goins and Bautista botch the ball. It's three to nothing. There's one runner on. Price hasn't done, hasn't given up a hard hit ball in a long time. He's allowed to get out of the inning. He didn't do it. The Royals beat him there. And you can argue, you know, everyone, like, no one ever wants to give credit to the teams for doing good things, you know? Like, no one ever wants to say, like, the Royals had better at bats. Hey, the Royals won. They always want to say, well, you know, Gibbons should have taken him out, or, whoa. Or the Mets choked. Or the Mets choked, or, whoa, Price must have been tipping. It's like, okay. You know, but also he threw a baseball over the plate and the Royals hit it. Like, that is, you know, and at the end of the day, like, at some point you just should give credit to the team who won. And so, um, so I forget. Uh, opposite field, Kane went opposite field. Hosmer went opposite field. And then uh, Morales, Morales, I think, made an out. Yeah, did he maybe move him up with an out? Though? He, that was when Hosmer stole second base. Yes, but That's then when right. they sent him That's on, right. uh, they sent he stole second base, and then Moose had to, Moose tied the game, and then Gordon broke it open with the double. Right. And that's just guys in the biggest spots having their best at bats. You know, just 
crushing David Price. And that was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was like game two against Jacob DeGrom. I mean, that was the swing, that was the hinge in the series that allowed them to kind of get a stranglehold on it. So, well, one thing I was just uh, hold that thought for one second because I'm worried we're going to forget about this, and and I I think it it's uh, worth mentioning uh, after Andy used the word crushing. Do you do you can you tell us a little bit about your uh, experience um, writing your game story? Can we do that after a break for a sponsor? Yeah, let's break for a sponsor. Yeah. Hey now. We're back, Andy, uh, it, it, and it is a painful experience, but, it, but I think it's uh, sausage, how sausage is made and a little, little bit worth sharing with our audience how this can happen. Um, and I'll introduce it very briefly by saying I had this experience at the 2000 Final Four in Saint, 2005 Final Four in St. Louis where I was working at the time. Send my story in on deadline, goes in fine, working on the rewrite, which is all you're worried about. Story disappears. I have every fiber of my being on fire and I had my sports coat on I picked it up, I crumpled it as tight as I could and I threw it and then I realized all I could do is start typing the next sen- the first sentence again and hoping um, that was a speck compared to what you were dealing with um, game 5 of the World Series, Royals are we don't yet know they're going to win the World Series that night but uh, thankfully it was a lot of extra innings so take us Andy from there what, what happened on your laptop? Yeah, so I was uh, I was using my uh, I'm looking at it now my uh, my MacBook Pro and I was in Microsoft Word and uh, I had like 1,200 words written of running and this is you know and I didn't have a lead yet obviously because you don't know what is going to happen in the game but you know it's two two in the top of the tenth you sort of figure the Royals are going to uh, probably pull it out you know because it's a battle of bullpens and they have a better bullpen and so um, bottom of the tenth actually which makes it even worse now that I think about it. And every word on my screen turned into an asterisk. Uh, I've never had this happen before. Like, literally every word turned into an asterisk. And, and uh, it was not your intent to write paragraphs of asterisks at well, that point. Well, you know, I've thought about it. It was better than what I wrote. I mean, it was good. Uh, it was. Those were good. If you just find a topper, one sentence to set it up. It's, it's, yeah. Brevity is the soul of wit. And so to have, you know, a thousand asterisks is better than whatever crap words I had. Um so I, uh, you know, so I'm just looking at my screen and I'm like, well, that's interesting. You know, just hoping that, you know, it'll... Control-Z is going to get it back. Well, I'm just like looking or... at it and I'm like, did I click something? I'm like, I didn't click anything. You know, I'm like, okay. So I hit Control-Z and then some asterisks disappeared. And I was like, okay, well, so that's not going to fix it. Like I hit Control-Z a couple times and it and it, it just asterisks started to go away. So it was clearly taking away the text I'd written. And so then I was like, well, this is a problem and so then i was like well all right i'll i copied and pasted it and put it in text edit and it still asterisks and then i copied and pasted and put it in uh uh gmail and it was still asterisks and like well this is this is interesting you know and i'm not like really panicking i guess because you know you just like you just have this calm with technology where you're like well it's you know it'll fix itself it's there somewhere it's gonna come back. right you're like i trust that skynet will you know fix this for me (laughs) Um, so I, uh, so then I, so then I was like, all right, I think this is where I made a critical error is I saved it, closed the file and then tried to reopen it. And then I, then I realized as soon as I reopened it, that I couldn't control Z anymore. So I'd run out of, so maybe it was six control Z's away and not four or whatever. (laughs) 
Uh, so then that was when I sort of panicked and uh, started to, you know, panic, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be a good way to describe right. it. And, uh, and I, you know, I tried to be, like, sort of a tough guy about it and, like, open a new file and just – but then I was literally staring. It said, you know, buy Andy McCullough, the Kansas City Star, White Space, or New York, New White York. Space. You got New York in there. White yeah. Space, dash 30 dash. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Christ. Like, you know, I, I was like, as soon as I, like, looked at the screen, I was, you know, my hands started to shake a little bit. Because, this is, you know, it's like I, I'm pretty um, prideful in my work, and, and, and I want to do a good job. And, and, um, and uh you know, it's only the biggest game in Royals well, history. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I was struck by that thought because, you're, you, you know, I don't know how much of this you're processing at that moment, but probably you are processing part of that. You'll cover bigger things. You'll write more important things. I don't know what they'll be going down the road, but at this moment, you're, you're quite conscious, as Blair would call it, the time capsule factor here. And it, this, is, this is as meaningful a thing as, as you can possibly do in our business. Yeah, I mean, this is why you get into the business, yeah. is to write the, the main bar for the, for the hometown <laughs> newspaper when the team wins the World Series. I mean, that's why you – that's what you want to do. You know, that's why I came to Kansas City is because, you know, I felt like if the team would – if the team was good, you know, there would be a way to make an impact here that was pretty much impossible where I was in New York. And, um, and so um, – yeah, I mean to have to like see that all disappear. That was not fun. And so I was sitting next to Mellinger, and uh, you know, and Sam was uh, he was like, "Oh, that's weird, man." And then he kind of like went back to doing his work. And I was like, "No, Sam, like I'm I'm really like up a creek here." And then you know he started to, you know, so I went and grabbed Chris Fickett, our uh, sports editor slash podcast engineer, and uh, tried to ask him for help, and he was useless. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> he uh, he. I mean, it was the sort of thing like no one had ever, no one knew what it was. Like no one had ever seen this that I, that, you know, was at least in that corner of the press box. Uh, Barry Zaruga from the Washington Post was like walking by to go get a drink, and he looks at my screen and he's like, "Good luck with that," and uh, you know, just like walks <laughs> off. You know, I was aware of some commotion in front of me, and I thought I better just stay away because I'm not going to help. Yeah, that was, and, and, and I might add to the fury. And Chris and Chris was on the line, I guess, with the tech department here trying to figure it out and everything they. You know, came up with, and this was this was like took like what, like seven minutes, like eight minutes. It wasn't like half an hour. It was a pretty. The, the Mets could have won the game. Yeah, I mean that was that was the discussing. like. Thank God for the Royals bullpen. I mean, otherwise this would have been really embarrassing. Uh, but so Chris, like, uh, you know, tried to help, and then at, at some point, I just kind of we just realized that what we weren't going to get it back, and so you know, I just was trying to figure out, you know, because you have like. You know, when I'm writing this game story, it's 12,000 words, 1,200 words. Well, it feels like 12,000 12, words. It reads like 120,000 words. Um, but, you know, you wrote some of them at 5 p.m. You wrote some at 8 p.m. You wrote some at 10 p.m. You know, you right. it wasn't written. All, so I've forgotten what I wrote, you know. Like, I, I had it the way I wanted it, you know, when I wrote each paragraph. But then I just went like well i'll never have to think about that again or you know i'll come back to this in six hours and it'll be fine and so i was just you know I was sitting there talking with sam and he was like hey man just like you know focus on the three you know the three big things in the game you know he's just like volquez harvey the comeback you know and so i just went and just kind of put on my headphones and um cranked up um what's that song called uh um I'm thinking about a lot of songs that might fit there. Well, while you're thinking about it, let me just express the idea that I am I'm stunned that Sam offered some useful advice. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you wrote a column or anything, but that was Well done, uh, Sam. (laughs) 
No Sam, pay, paying the price for missing the podcast, <laughs> although we'd say it if you were here, too. Yeah, so. we'd be way more cruel. Actually, that's actually, that's actually some really good advice. From yeah, Sam it was – it was no, it was good, and, and uh, it just kind of was like a focusing – just like, hey, like, just do these three things. And so I put on – it was uh, Dancing on My Own by Robin. I don't know if you ever heard that song. It's by a Swedish pop lady, uh, pop, uh, pop icon. And, uh, and so I put that on, and then for about – 15 to 20 minutes just rebuilt everything i had and kind of just tried the best i could to remember what i'd written and did, just kind of what was the very first do you recall what was the very first thing you typed i mean that, uh, to me this is very interesting i mean how you how you resurrect i typed uh i typed uh it was something about um harvey in the fourth inning because i remembered the sequence i remembered what i'd written to describe harvey's arsenal so i started with a graph about you know how like his Fastball reaches triple digits, you know, can approach triple digits. The slider sits ninety, and then I went. And then I was like, okay. The next paragraph was about how he struck out the side in the fourth. And it's like you know, and so then I kind of got into a little bit of a rhythm there. I had a paragraph about like uh, about cool about uh, being in the dugout pregame that I and I just and then once I just kind of found a rhythm, and then like after about fifteen twenty minutes, I had like eight hundred words or so, and then I had a three hundred word chunk that have been sitting in another Word document um, relating to the Astros game that I was able to weld on, but I couldn't really put that in the running if they lost. So that, did, you know, so once I, once, yeah. So but you had command of your pitches again. Once I got that 800, you know, the 800 of yeah. like, this was like C matter, you know, at this point. Like once I had that, I was good. And then that took 15 minutes or so, Chris? I don't know, 20 minutes? Yeah. yeah. I was shocked. It came back up to me after, you know, in an apoplectic fits, and then 15 minutes later, he says he has 800 words. I'm like, yeah, really? really? Yeah, shit. yeah. I, I, I mean, don't, they, I didn't know it was physically possible to just type yeah. 800 words. I couldn't in type 800 minutes. asterisks right. that fast. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. So yeah, so that was so that was fun. So, but that had happened. That, that Hosmer, they had tied the game at that point, yeah. right? So this this was in ex, oh, we're in extra innings. This, is, this was this was after Hochaver went in the game in the bottom of the tenth, and I remember. And I was actually feeling pretty good because I was like I had everything where I wanted it to go, and I was, and it's just one of those where like, all right, you know, like we'll just see how it ends and we'll be good. And then it just completely went to hell for about thirty to forty-five minutes. So that was fun. So I enjoyed my night. Well, you're covering a team built on comebacks. That was uh, the, that was the <laughs> the signature work of it. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's um, a couple other things real quick. I wanted to talk about. I thought the at bat of the series was Alex Gordon's home run in game one of the World Series uh, off of Familia. The pitching performance of, of the series, at least from, a, from, a, from the bullpen, was Wade Davis in game six against the Blue Jays when he uh, came in, pitched the eighth, sat into the dugout for, uh, for 45 minutes through a rain delay, and then another 15 minutes while the Royals put together the, you know, the, the winning run on the Eric Hosmer single scoring Lorenzo Cain from first base. <laughs> and uh, th- th- then that takes us into game one, Gordon's home run. And then, you know, if, if Cain's, you know, first to home dash on the single wasn't the base running move of the series for the Royals, it was the, the, the play of Eric Hosmer in, in game six that apparently caused the shortage in Andy's uh, computer. <laughs> Uh, so I, I have a comment about that the Hosmer play actually. Um, everyone seems to be saying that a good throw by Duda gets him out. Uh, I disagree with that. Um, if you watch 
that's everyone's talking about that screen grab, right? Watch the play and watch Hosmer's momentum and think about the fact that unless Darno is getting a perfect throw on his inner left knee inside, Hosmer's safe. Not a good throw, a perfect throw. A perfect throw, throw down, down that guides him into Hosmer to come to the other side of the plate. Most likely he's going to have to catch and turn, and Hosmer's coming in full speed and he makes up that momentum he makes up that distance very quickly i think even a good throw it's very very close i think it has to be an absolutely perfect throw question about the momentum I, I, it's frozen a little bit in my mind but blair and i think you got with rusty too blair and i were talking to rusty and item a of course he makes the point that yeah right looks him back Hosmer doesn't go back. Right. There's no reason to go I think back. There's nothing to go back for. Right. Nobody's and, covering third. And I, I would submit that maybe Hosmer even still had a little lean. I don't know if he quite had momentum, but he, but he, he certainly wasn't frozen. Wright was too far away to have any sort of teeth to the looking him back. Yeah. I mean, there was no – you know, Wright – uh, it's understandable, but Reich, that's not Wright's ball. No, Flor- if, Flores has to take the ball. If Flores takes the ball, he can look him back completely. Ooh. Ooh. Wright's on the bag, and no run scores. Is the better play there? Should Wright have just run run at Hosmer? Should they have said, we're not, we're no. not going to let that run happen? No, because you're not expecting him to go. It's not a play where you traditionally go with a non-speed player like Hosmer. Hosmer's not a Terrence Gore type Um I mean, just to run at him, he's he, you know, he's safe. or just not to throw it yeah. and just say I mean, we're not going to let you. But score. then all of a sudden, you've just given up an out. Yeah. and you know, how many outs were there at that point? Were there two? What? Just the one? No, there were. The, the I, one. Oh, I thought there were two. No, there, was one. Was there was one. The, the second there was out was out played first. first. Yeah. Was, yeah. The, so there's right. one out. It would have been a game-ending double play if they right. thrown So there's one out, and all of a sudden you're putting you're putting the winning run on base. You know, you're just because you don't want to give up the run at third. I mean, that's hindsight. Yeah, that's not a play. That's not a play you would make. Any baseball player. Flores has to make the play. Wright has to get back to third. They got plenty of time to make the play because it's Perez. You know, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, it's a tough, you know, Wright, Wright's instincts is a charge. I mean, David Wright is was once a great third baseman, is now not a very good third baseman. You can see it. In, is he not a good third baseman or is it just, is just his arm? Is it's it both. All, all around? I mean, he's, just, okay. he's just, I mean, David Wright's a, had a fantastic career, but he is not the player he once was yeah. in, in every aspect of, yeah. uh, of his game. And, um, you know, he's... Uh, he's got spinal stenosis. I mean, he, you know, he's he's falling apart before our eyes. Uh, but you saw the way he throws sidearm because he's got shoulder yeah. and back problems, and um, you know, so it's a, it's a tough play. His instinct is to make that play. I think that's the same instinct. You know, uh, like Mustakis would throw with a lot more velocity, I think, and it would just look more intimidating. You know, for the guy from third base. I, I wonder if. Um, if Eric Hosmer, the first baseman, throws out Eric Hosmer, the runner. Interesting. Because um, Hos- Hosmer's coming up, uh, he's going to be coming up left-handed, so the ball is not going to tail the other way. Did I not uh, the see way some, Duda's ball did. Maybe it was baseball reference. Somebody put out something about how much more accurate or better uh, Duda's been to the plate than Hosmer. I would take Eric Hosmer in that spot 10 times out of 10. Um but again, I still even think even with a good throw, he's safe. It's just a yeah. very tough play to make. Yeah. Like it's a very it's it's tough on Darno. Darno has to rotate so much in time yeah. to get in, and because you can't block the plate anymore, it's just tougher for the catcher to make that play. I think he's safe. I think he's safe even with a good throw. 
I didn't. I didn't you did a, an entire story on it, Blair, and frankly, I'm realizing now I never saw that story yet. But where, where was Jersh in that in that play? Was well, in, in in all the replays of, of he's not in the he's not, he's not in the picture. Yeah. And, and I think it, I think Hosmer's on his own. Yeah. It's it's yeah. all Hosmer deciding. And I have since I didn't hear this from Hosmer in the clubhouse. I there were different waves going to the players of waves of media, and I didn't hear him say this. But somebody told me that he said after the game that about two steps into his dash, he thought, "I'm not going to make it." I, I saw a little video that somebody had that, yeah, he... He, he, was, he was concerned that he had made the wrong decision mm-hmm. and he wasn't going to get there. And from where, at my vantage point, where I was, which was kind of down the third baseline, I watched, you know, it was behind Hosmer. I didn't think he was going to make it. I just, I, I thought, boy, they got the... Duda had the ball and was, was starting to make his throw, and Hosmer still seemed to me to be about 30 feet from the plate, 30, 25 feet from the plate. And, you know, I... I I'll trust Andy when he says even well, a, just, you take a great throw to get him. And it would have taken a, watch, a very good watch throw. Watch the replay, and, and I know it looks distorted because Darno has to yank his body across to get But just watch. Just even if he's get like he's so easily safe that, like, even if Darno catches the ball to where it was thrown, I think he's safe. Well, I, I, I definitely think that's true like, because, of, if, because of where the ball in, was so, thrown. So the, ball, so the ball's so far away. Like, even if it's not that far, but Darno still has to move his body across himself to, to catch it. Like, even if it's close enough that he can catch it, I think he's safe. And that just made me think that it has to be perfect, and he still has to spin. He still has to spin and get there before Hosmer. He's a stationary target. He's a stationary object. Hosmer's a moving object, and he's gaining steam. Hosmer's a good runner once he gets going. He's not quick, but he can get. He goes first to third very well. For example, um, you know. So once he gains momentum, I, I think he's safe. Like I know he looks. It looks bad, and you know, obviously it's a it's a terrible play for Duda. But I even think I think he's safe with a good throw. Well, and it, you know, at that point, it just tied the game. But for all intents and purposes, I thought that's it's that's it. You know, the Royals will find a way now to. To win it in extra innings, and 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 finally they did in, in the twelfth with the, the the five runs in the twelfth, and um, and the celebration was on at at City Field. You know, I heard somebody somebody say, "Boy, I wish there had been a six game so they had, they had <laughs> won it in Kansas City, like they had won all their previous series." I said, "No, you don't. You win a you win a series the moment you can win a series, right. and you don't, you know." Um, and it was I was I was impressed by the number of Royals fans who were at City Field. By the end of the game, they had all come down to behind the Royals dugout, and there could, had to have been two, three thousand Royals fans who had found their way to New York um, and gotten in the game. So, you know how um, it, it's it's still kind of it's all fresh in our, our memory now, and I think we've covered the highlights. And but how will how how will this team be remembered? Uh, I know we're going to have to let some time pass, and how will but but. I think that we, we, we've heard, those of us who have lived here in Kansas City, we've t- talked to the, the players in the 85 team, and they are so fondly remembered. They're, you know, we, we all know them. We've seen a lot of them the last couple of years, Brett and Frank White and Willie Wilson, and those who were kind of a, away from the team for a while have reconnected. I, I, I think there will be a connection between this town and this team for a long, long time. I I, I think so, and I think Andy will be able to elaborate on this better. But I, I'm just struck by a couple things, one of which is that maybe it's because of social media. Maybe I don't know what it was like back in the day, but there is a, they're woven in with this town already because of their age, because of the enthusiasm of the town, because they, they, they're out here among us. And, and they were like that in 85, too. 
Um, but you just you, you just see it in in so many different ways that they're that they're part of this. And I was really struck by George Brett saying after the game two things: one, a he thought this team would beat their team, and two, that they are now. He didn't say now, but in my mind, it's now. They are proud to be associated with these guys. It's right. flipping that switch a little bit. Right. These guys used to be. You know, proud of the lineage they had with the George Bretts and Frank Whites and everybody else from that era, and now that that's kind of and, and, and as it should be, but it's just an interesting twist to me. Yeah, I mean, it's the uh, it's the culmination of you know almost a decade with Dayton Moore at the helm, and uh, it's the you know it's watching his vision come to fruition, and it, and it came to fruition about four years later than I think anyone would have liked. Um, and, you know, I think two years later than his owner thought would happen. Um, but, you know, it's it's going to go down as – I mean, this is like – this is – I've written this before, but this is a, a renaissance in Kansas City baseball. I mean, this is – this might be as good as it ever gets. And just because – people who love baseball love this team, you know, like around the country. You know, just love the way they play, you know, love their style, love their spirit, you know. And so even if the team is great next year, it's hard to – like, it's, it was hard – it would be hard to imagine a team that the city enjoyed more than the 2014 Royals. You know, I mean, that team was fun. That team, you know, had – you know, stole bases and, and, and ran all over the field and did backflips in the outfield and made these incredible catches. And they somehow assembled a group that was – even more enjoyable to watch, you know, that was even, uh, that was even, that it was even tougher, you know, that, that played as good defense, but also, you know, just forced all these incredible errors on their opponents just with their, with the relentless pressure they had and a team that somehow ran less, but ran into all these incredible, you know, plays. I mean, they weren't a running team this year. And yet what we're going to remember is Lorenzo Cain going from first to home or Eric Hosmer scoring. And those weren't, you know, because of just the talent, but but the skill, but the the preparation, you know, but ta- but the advanced scouting, but taking advantage of so. I mean, it just really was a. So I, I think like people are going to look back and and look at this as kind of um, like an almost ideal team, you know, like in a way that you know, look, congratulations to the San Francisco Giants last year, you know, right? I mean, they they won there, they were tougher than everyone, and they deserve that title. But I don't think anyone is going to look back and say, you know, that was the way baseball was meant to be played. You know, it's just that there's an aesthetic pleasure about this team that I think it's been a while since a team like that's come across. You know, like uh, that that just captured, uh, you know, kind of the imagination. Um, across the spectrum, you know, like, you know, for people who love baseball, this is, you know, Ben Lindbergh, a writer for ESPN, said something like, I'd like to cryogenically freeze this Royals team so I could just break it open and watch them every few years. Because, you know, they, they really were special. You know, they it's, it really, and it's funny, but, like, the only thing September cost them was a chance to go down as really one of the great teams in, in baseball history, I think. Well, I think they'll, uh, they, they will... Take the uh, take take the trophy that sure. they won. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but but, and but you know what I mean. I, I, like, I know. You know, know you talk about like the, the ninety eight right. Yankees. You know, um, forty seven you know, Yankees. You know, but but teams that you know the seventy five Reds. You know, teams that won a hundred games, a hundred and five games, and then won the World Series. I mean, they're they're thought back on as as one of the greats. And and I think this Royals team, like if they had if they had played five hundred ball in September and won a hundred games, you know, we'd be talking about them as really one of the, the great teams in baseball history. And they still are. It's the same amount of team it's the same amount of talent but you know I, I you know I, you hope that in history 
they won't get lost as just another you know great team that won a World Series, but there really was something um, special here. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, last year uh, they were they, they captured the town's imagination really in the postseason mm-hmm. in September. It wasn't right. this year was a year long celebration of baseball. And I think we saw that with the sellouts at Kauffman Stadium, the record television ratings. And last year, one person, you know, dominated the World Series. Mm-hmm. Madison Bumgarner just dominated the Royals and won the thing. This year, the World Series champion was – look, Salvador Perez deserved World Series MVP. I could have made a case – you could have made a case for three or four other players. I didn't even think he'd be a candidate. <laughs> what, did he, what did he do? He had a nice little batting average at the end. Right. Uh, who, uh, who voted, by the way? I don't know. No I mean, you know, congratulations. Like, I'm glad yeah. he gets the car. He played sure. great. But I was just thinking, like, what did, did – did he, like, hit a game-winning hit in the game that I missed? Or He, he knocked in Hosmer, <laughs> theoretically. He, uh, he had an RBI. <laughs> yeah, so I got the RBI. <laughs> well, he had, a, he had a, a big hit in game four. Four, but after Murphy's error and Mustakas's hit, I, so I, you know, hey, congratulations! Like you could say that with everyone, though. Anyone who would have won the award, you would have been like, "What did he do again?" Yeah, because you couldn't give it to Hosmer because his batting average was so low, and he made a couple errors in the field. Um, you couldn't give it to Gordon because his batting average was right. so low. But I think Gordon, I actually think he had the biggest at bat in each of the series. The, the 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 ground out the the fielder's choice that scored the go ahead run in Houston the double mm-hmm. off a of price in Game Two in Kansas City and then the home run in Game yeah. One yeah. Uh, in the World Series but he didn't have he didn't do enough in other at bats to, to to your bigger point have to settle for a, a ring and yeah, just a hundred million dollars this <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> right. but to your bigger point about this and and maybe this is overstating it but the, every little piece seemed to make this happen and it I'm not saying not that there weren't three, four guys maybe that they wouldn't have won without, but but they were they probably needed 10, 12, 14 guys to come through and different. That might be a little too many, but maybe I, it's along those lines. I don't. Dis- I mean, no. I mean, the, the, um, you know, every and, every player in the lineup had a big moment. Yeah. During the postseason, even the much maligned Alex Rios. I mean, he had it, some it, of the biggest. He had he had at least three. Three, four really key he moments. He started the rally in Game yeah. Four. He had the go-ahead double in Game Five. Yeah, um, you know he was involved in you know a, I, there was stuff with the he hit a home run against the Blue Jays. Yeah. You know yeah. when they when they crushed Dickey. Um, so that, so yeah, but uh, the thing I was going to add to this was that so my dad moved here from Iran and Beirut in the mid fifties. Still doesn't understand anything about baseball. I mean, he would take me to games. Uh, in the early 70s, and he'd ask me if somebody was a shortstop, who was the backstop, and just <laughs> stuff like that. He didn't want to understand it, but they were captivated. My parents live in New York, and they were captivated watching this team. And I, I stayed with them, and I came home uh, one night. The next morning, he was talking about how much he liked watching the Royals play because there, there are no egos. And what he meant by that, I don't think you can know that there's no egos, right. but what he meant by that was I think he recognized the markers of, you know, Putting the ball in play and, and singles, not a guy's not having to have the home run to to win, and it just was. It really was striking to me that, that somebody with literally no understanding at all of the game actually, to me, spotted something that is very telling about this team. So, you know, I think we could actually carry this on for for a while longer. It's there was so much to talk about with these Royals, but uh, we've got a parade to catch, go. a parade yeah, to catch, oh and uh, books to get ready, and stuff like that. So, yeah. Thanks for bearing with us. Going on a juice cleanse.
it's, I'm getting coffee, the, the magic elixir that, uh, that we, we uh, spoiled Therese Paler with finally. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening and, and for uh, reading and following the coverage in the Kansas City Star.